0: like they get hit and they just sit there and go like what he hit me you can't do that instead of like like what you're talking about, the kid that's competitive just gets up and starts playing again. like he doesn't even think about it like i want the puck back i'm gonna go get it and that's that's the guys everybody's looking for right like the guy that gets up gives a second effort without even like what he slashed me hit me like and they kind of give up on the play right it's just yeah. like you can't do that to me you know who i am what's going on yeah. right so that was
1: Derek Plant, and you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick. Who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan. I am Jason Podolan, your host of this program and recently I've been your absent host of this program. Uh, after producing 69 consecutive episodes, I ended up taking about six weeks off here over the summer uh, to produce a program that I'm super proud of called the Peak Potential Hockey Project, uh, created it and launched it uh, very successfully, so I had to take some time away from the podcast, and now we are back stronger than ever and uh, ready to get going here for another, for another season. So uh, we're starting off with a fantastic guest uh, by the name of Derek Plant. Derek is someone that I played with in Mannheim. That's where we first crossed paths um, for two seasons in Mannheim. We ended up crossing paths after Mannheim in the uh, Japan Ice Hockey League, of all places, where he played with Nippon, and I was uh, with OG Paper in Tamakomai. Uh, Derek, prior to that, was uh, was a, was a uh, Division I player. Uh, he played at Minnesota Duluth. He was... Drafted by Buffalo, where he left college and went straight to Buffalo. He had three 20-goal seasons there. He got a Calder Trophy vote his rookie season. Uh, he's famous for an overtime Game 7 playoff winner with the Sabres. He also won a Stanley Cup with the Dallas Stars. Uh he had a great, great, great professional career. And after leaving the game, he got involved in coaching back at the Minnesota of Duluth, where he is now. He was with the U.S. Development Program, um, coaching the UAE 17s, I believe. And also was a skills development coach with the Blackhawks. So this guy has been around the game a ton uh, Super passionate about the game, like he's—he just loves to chat hockey. Uh, I love playing with him. He always showed up at the rink with a with a smile on his face, even as we find out in this interview, even when he was uh, fighting uh, the recovery of a back surgery, which I never knew about, which is so crazy now to have this conversation. But uh, yeah, just a fantastic source of knowledge, not only from his own personal journey as an undersized player who developed late, whose uh, whose lot of eyes weren't on him early. Uh, to growing into this idea of becoming an NHL player and what that would mean, and then having a great NHL career, um, but also you I mean where it took him afterwards? You know that there is life in hockey outside the NHL, uh, where Derek was was definitely made uh, made inroads in, in in the Swiss League, in in uh, in Germany, and as I said, in uh, in Japan. So well traveled, well respected. Uh, still very very involved in the game and mentoring young young men to become the players they want to be and the and the humans they want to be so I couldn't be prouder to have derek on as uh as my guest here for episode seventy. Uh, I already mentioned the peak potential project. we talked about that a little bit in this episode uh if you are interested uh it started on Monday this episode will release Monday so the the it has started, I don't necessarily accept late entrance, but if you are interested, check out my, uh, my website, www.myhockey.com, uh, it's the Peak Potential Hockey Project, it's a four-week program, mindset themes, each week is a mindset theme, there's a coaching call with me, massively successful, the beta group was, uh, just launched The second group now, and I will be doing another group in the future, so if you want to get on the wait list for that, now is the time, uh, but without further ado, let's bring you Mr. Derek Plant. All right, well, here we are. I am back. Uh, Planner, I took a little bit of a hiatus here. So this is episode 70, but it's the first time since I started um, where I've actually taken some time off. So we took kind of July off and June and uh, it's awesome to get back in the hat. So if I'm rusty, I have to apologize. Um, You know, if I'm not, if not my smooth, eloquent self, uh, it's just because of the rust. But welcome to the program. Old teammate, uh, good friend, Mr. Derek Plant. Thanks for being here, man.
0: Awesome. Yeah, this is great to reconnect and and in a fun way and talking some hockey. I always love to do that. So this is great.
1: Yeah, sweet. Uh, We were just talking a little bit off camera um, about the connection. And I think that's super relevant. So like Derek and I first met in Mannheim. Uh, Derek had played a year in in the Swiss A League and then came came to uh, to the Mannheim. It was my second season and a fellow teammate there, Ryan uh, Healy. Ryan Healy, sorry. Um, Eric Healy, yeah. yeah, Eric Healy, Ryan's his son. Um, you and you and Eric were just at a tournament with with their sons, who were babies at the time in Mannheim, and now they're playing for Team USA together. So, uh, yeah, let's just maybe start there. That's like super cool and super well, and that's the hockey world in a nutshell. Um, but I saw I saw the picture right of, of of your two boys, and then I was like, holy smoke! So I texted Healy, and, and he's like, well, yeah, you should get Planter on, and here we are, like four to five days later, right?
0: Yeah. So funny. Like, I I guess I didn't really put the connection together. I mean, it's it's a long time ago, you know, they're all fours in 2004. And, and then just seeing uh, the Healy at the camp, the defenseman, like I haven't really paid attention, you know, because they're out East. Right. And at Duluth here, we we mostly watch the Western kids for the most part. Um, And then I'm like, ah, it's a name, you know, and I see a lot of dads in the, in the rinks often. I think the, the lineage is pretty common. Um, but then I went out in the, in the lobby and there's Eric sitting out there. So it was a good connection. They both kids made the team. Uh, they went over to the Lincoln tournament, played together. So just is a real cool thing. We made a couple, a couple pictures after, uh, together. Now, what is it? 16, 17 years later. Pretty neat. Yeah, that is super cool. What is, so the, and what team was that, uh, that they both made? So, uh, the Ivan Lincoln tournament is a, it's a big tournament in the, in the eyes of like mostly NHL teams. Because this group of kids, the O 4s now, would be, the, for the majority, not everyone, because some late birthdays, but majority would be, the, this would be the first tournament of next year's draft. And so the tournament's a big enough draft that usually it, it gets the best players. Um, you, you're going to miss a couple here and there. For the U.S. team, uh, the kids that don't play are, I guess, at the U.S. development program. So our team's tried out for the select 17s or the Lincoln tournament, um, which is which is really a tournament for basically all the rest of the nation that's not playing on a development program team. Um, so they have a tryout, they have a week long tryout in, in Buffalo and, and then they pick a team from that and go play in a tournament. Um, Canada, unfortunately this year didn't put a team in a tournament, I think because of COVID and everything that goes with it. Um, usually they're, they're, they're a strong team and, and oftentimes win it. Um, the Russian team at this year with, was very good. Um, the Mishkov kid was, who was arguably going to probably be first or second overall, not this year, but the next year, as a younger birthday, was there and led the tournament scoring. So it's a high-end tournament. Most most NHL teams have four or five guys there. They're GMs, and it's just an opportunity for their to start their list of the better high-end kids in in, in all of all of hockey, I guess, at that age. Gotcha. So these are
1: you, the majority that are eligible for 2022. That's what that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, correct, correct. Unless they're that late
0: birthday, which is after September 15th, and maybe they did a the year later. So
1: awesome. No, so that's well, so that's super exciting then for both of you. Like, so, so to have your voice yeah, come right. through, you mean to make so that you they're they're considered as of right now some of the top seventeen year old kids in in the states, right? Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. I mean, that'll, that'll probably put them on at least somebody's list. How high? Right. I don't know. Or they'll probably fall off by the end. I don't know, but right. uh, so, you know, they'll start there, and it's a good and it's a good experience to get to put the USA jersey on. I know you you got to put the Canada jersey on and win a gold and all that and. I was fortunate to play in, in six national tournaments and, and a world junior myself so putting that usa jersey on it's a, it's an awesome feeling especially when it's the first couple times so i know they they both felt that too
1: that's fun so what is what's the temperature like what's your boy's name zam zam plan so yep. what's your like what's the temperature like for him i mean obviously representing like you said he, he understands fully where he's at he understands like the 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 magnitude of the tournament and that this is his draft year and all this stuff. Like where, where where's his head space right now with all this?
0: Yeah, He's pretty good. I think, I think a lot of these kids, they grow up and, you know, for me, like being a coach and I'm around it a lot, I think he understands it, which I think sometimes puts more pressure on them a little bit because I think, you know, he thinks about it. And like, I coached this team three times uh, previously, so he knew about the tournament probably from five years, six years ago. Um, knowing what it is and made me put a little bit more pressure on himself to make the team and I think once he made that team I think you, you get to see him kind of relax a little bit and like, oh okay good, this is great and even already played fall he fit right in he wasn't uh, the best player there but he wasn't the worst player there so he fit there somewhere in the middle and right. I think it was a good experience for him they didn't win so I think you go over there as a. US team thinking like you can win anything now and they lost against a really good Slovakian team and lost to Sweden, and then their chances were pretty much done. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't yeah, yeah. exactly how they wanted to, but I think the, that from that perspective, it was just a fun accomplishment.
1: Awesome. And you said you've coached that team before?
0: Yeah, luckily I've been uh, with USA Hockey. I was able to be assistant once, and then I was head coach of that team twice. So it's a, it's a really good tournament. Coached some really great players that are now playing in the NHL, so it's, it's a really fun opportunity to see those kids grow and get better. So pretty neat. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's cool. And what a
1: great I mean, I remember my draft year. I'm sure you remember yours. You know, I, I think it's, well, I don't, I don't think, think I remember mine
0: like yours. I mean, you're you're kind of a high highfalutin guy, so pretty good deal. I think uh I don't want to get off topic, but for my draft, I, it was actually in Minnesota and that's when they mostly always had it in Montreal. For whatever reason, they had it in Minnesota that year. And you know, my dad was actually a scout with the North Stars at the time, and and for me, I didn't even go to the draft. Like nobody even told me it was important. And at that time I was like five I don't know, five, six, 150 pounds. So I didn't really think I was going to get drafted. So I was out mowing the grass while the draft was going on. Came in from mowing the grass and my, my sisters go, yeah, you got drafted. And I couldn't even remember who it was that drafted me. I couldn't figure out who it was. They are like, yeah, they're blue and gold. Like uh, the blues. And I, I couldn't think of another team. They're like, no, the Buffalo Sabres. And we all kind of went, what? Buffalo, where the hell's Buffalo? <laughs> it's, so funny. it's such a different time, right? Wow. That's what
1: I mean. Like it was so different. The, you know, like the hockey news existed. You know, back yeah, when that was really that was really the only publication that you would find anything at. You know, right. there wasn't these specialized you know sports channels or anything else. So no. you know, you would follow the hockey news, and if you were happen to get ranked, then you knew that that was where you're at. And maybe your phone would ring from time to time with you know somebody wanted to take you for dinner or find something out about you, but definitely not the microscope that these kids are under now where like it's two years three years prior to their draft and they're already know if they're on a radar or who's watching them or whatever like I think it's uh you know the environment is much different for these kids and I think they kind of got to be prepared a little differently too because of that you know like there's uh there's definitely there's definitely more to it than just hockey right now
0: oh 100 percent like I like, like, like your mindset right your mindset is Where's where <laughs> are you like once you get drafted are you are you done like now you've made it no, you haven't made it. So what's next? And, and be able to keep with all that stuff. And and I think what also comes with that a lot more now is the criticism, right? Like, so when they, you know, even the draft list before the kids get drafted, there's a lot of naysayers saying, no, we shouldn't get drafted. And I think kids have to deal with all that on Twitter and all the different social media.
1: Yeah, great point with the social media. Like, everyone has an opinion there now, and, and these kids are attached to their phones just like the rest of the world is, you know, mm-hmm. so – um how do you handle that with your team actually i mean <clears throat> i wanted to i definitely want to talk about your story and stuff but with your your team now is there any type of social media policy is there anything you know do you direct them as to you know because it can be all-encompassing and consuming and and, and not we don't always have the best uh you know personal restrictions let's say in place like to, to help us be our best so how, how do you handle that with these yeah, you're dealing with?
0: yeah i mean it's fair i mean we talk about it for sure a lot i don't know that we have a lot of like rules per se but we also are like just don't tweet anything (laughs) you know like tweet more fun stuff but you know stay out of a lot of it i mean if you have a really strong opinion we're not going to hold somebody back but for the most part you're just opening yourself up to a lot of distractions i guess and then a lot of times we talk about it's it's part of the team right like you're bringing a lot of you can possibly bring a lot of problems to the team too or or just you know it could be locker room fodder right like yeah. Uh, we're better than that team, or we're better than that team, or just not even trying to, right? And also another team's like, all fired up for a weekend. So there's just so many side shoots that it can go on that we just try to say stay away from it as much as you can. We don't care if you have it, and read it, and do whatever, retweet whatever for the most part, but just don't make a bunch of strong comments because it can catch yeah. up, right?
1: I remember, which which is funny because I just connected that dot just now. I, I remember getting traded to, to Toronto, and... And so I, I left like Quietsville of like Florida because you know the Panthers. You know, it wasn't a big media frenzy there, right? Even when you were up, you know, you were just playing yeah. hockey. you were in the NHL. You knew it was cool, but it wasn't. It wasn't Toronto by any stretch of the imagination. When yeah. I got traded there, I uh, I was in a cab. So they, <laughs> like, that was back in the day too, right? Like there was nobody at the airport to meet me or whatever. And I just got traded for their assistant captain. So I hop in this cab. I'm going to this. I'm going to this address. This hotel address. Sometimes somewhere in Toronto, I've never been to Toronto before. And the, the cab driver had no idea who I was either. Like he didn't know who he picked up, but he had, he had sports net, whatever, 590 on or whatever, like whatever the sports channel was. And the whole program for the hour and a half drive was about like the trades that had happened. But the majority of the trades, because it was trade deadline day was, they were yeah. talking yeah. about me. So I'm sitting in the back seat, right? Like, and it was like modern day Twitter because, like, yeah. some guys, some guys sure. would call in. Yeah, they'd be like, "Oh, like they loved it," right? And then there'd be like the guys that just thought it was awful, right? And so I'm listening. To, I'm listening to myself get beat up and pat on the back, and I'm just like, "Where the hell am I?" Like, but these kids, they got that all the time now, right? Like, there's somebody liking them, there's someone hating them, and if you want to, I mean, you can get consumed by both ends of it if you want
0: to. Absolutely, absolutely. I, and I remember when I was in Buffalo, the same thing. I wasn't. I didn't really listen to radio that much because. And a couple of buddies did, and, like, you know, we'd ride together to the rank, and, you know, how that goes. And he like, just – I'm like, why are you listening to it every day? They never – like, these are mostly people that don't really know the game. They don't really know what's going on out there, and you're listening to their opinion, and, like, it's affecting you. Like, you just got to let it go. Like, yeah. and that's a hard thing to do if I think – maybe the kids are better at it now because they see so much of it, and I don't know – where are you on all the chirping? I think that's another question. I don't know it's a little bit off topic, but the chirping that goes on now is, like – twice or four times as much as it was when we played on the no ice? oh on the ice like our guys are chirping guys even when we're losing the guys are chirping each other and I'm just it tries to be crazy because I wasn't a chirper right like I, I wasn't yeah. smart enough to have good smart quips but, <laughs> but anyway, it's like more like subdued and whatnot but the guys are just chirping each other at all times and my kids are no different I'm just like I don't know where well, that I don't is. know I mean yeah,
1: interesting comment. I mean, I know that I know that the, I'm I'm just coaching my boys right now who are a few years behind yours, right? So like the only, the only benches I've been behind are like Pee Wee Adam benches, right? <laughs> but they're already starting it now. Yeah. You know, they kind of think it's funny and it's cool, and they're trying to figure out how to do it. You know what I mean? And then you're right. trying to navigate that as a coach in right. a way that's like, okay, well, how do you make this like fun and still respectful and sportsmanlike in a way? You know, admit. because you're dealing admit. with these young guys. Okay. But I I would assume Planter that at that older level, like. I think there's, I feel when I watch it, there's less accountability on the ice <laughs> for sure. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, so you, you, I, you I think if
1: you, if you, throw that in and that's why the, I mean the people, I mean, everyone can have their opinion about fighting or the physicality or whatever, but I think it's like the less physical it becomes the less fighting that exists. And you and I both weren't fighters, but we played in a, at a time where we would have to, or did, you know, yeah. um, that was probably another reason why you kept your mouth shut.
0: Yeah, right, right. Like, you, you say the wrong thing to the right guy, also, you have a broken nose. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's real. Like, yeah. it's bleak. No, it's, yeah, it's broken. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I know. So, I mean, I, I think that these guys don't, I mean, there's not much, there's not much of that anymore, you know, and, and, it, and, it, and it's like a media frenzy when it is, you know what I mean? Like, when someone yeah. like Tom Wilson all of a sudden ragdolls Panarin, who jumped on his back five seconds earlier, right? You mean, yeah. that wouldn't even, in my opinion, that wouldn't even have been discussed back when we played. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but like, you know, yeah. you wouldn't have jumped on Tom Wilson's back in 1995. No, right. Because you, you would have been like, he's going to kick the crap out of me, You're right? <laughs> so you just
0: wouldn't have done it. Right. And that would have been okay. Everybody would have been all right with that. <laughs> yeah, <Okay.
1: laughs> yeah oh, so man. I don't know. I mean, I just see that. I, I kind of see that from the outside looking in now. I, I see, like, th- these things are changing, and that's probably why guys are chirping more, and that's, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I think the pendulum's swinging back a little bit now, you know, like with – you know, like, the, the, we're, we're understanding there needs to be some weight in the lineup. There needs to be some oh, heaviness, yeah. right? I mean, and I think those hard guys hard. are actually um, – I mean, teams are looking for those guys. For sure they are, right? You know? Yeah, right.
0: So I've done – yeah. So when I was coaching at Duluth, so I've watched hockey from the West Coast to the East Coast, and then I went player development with the Chicago Blackhawks. And, again, I'm watching our draft picks from – like, I've watched every level for the last 10, 12 years, and there's not a place anywhere – that it's acceptable to go hit people really hard anymore. Right. And then let alone fight. So when I got to Chicago and we we talked about that a lot, like that's the guy that's missing. is the guy that's legitimately tough. Cause there's not an avenue that a kid can go do that anymore. And I don't know where they, le- I don't know where guys learned that in the past, but there's no level, whether it's BC or way out East in, in the Maritimes. Right. So it's, right. there's just not a, there's not a place for that to happen. Like the refing wherever is, If you hit somebody hard, even if it's clean, you're going to get a penalty. So it's, it's taken a lot of that out of the, out of the hockey. Really. So to find a guy, that's like Tom Wilson, like he's legit tough. And of course he can play, right. There's just, that's, that's the unicorn out there right now. You can't find that guy.
1: Yeah. Great point. And yeah, it is the unicorn because I think you nail it on the head. I mean, the, the development system just doesn't really allow it. So, I mean, even with what I do, right, I'm, I'm dealing with youth athletes and stuff and, you know, trying to trying to help these, you know, c- kids realize these dreams and everyone's looking for like, what's the competitive advantage? And like for me, well, one, I, I definitely believe mindset's a competitive advantage. But when you when you when you yeah. apply mindset to like your game, like if you can have a competitive edge on the ice right now, like I say that to anyone, you stand out like a sore thumb out there right? Like play with an edge and you can control that, right? Cause nobody's really doing it. So it's no, like, the way to stand out is doing that? I think
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. I was at a, a USHL camp earlier this summer and there was one kid there uh, from the, the Texas area. It was just running around hammering people. And like, he, he had such a profound effect on the, like, these are just scrimmages, right? But like, it was so noticeable, like guys just didn't know what to do. Like there was, he even challenged a few guys to fight and they just didn't like, they just totally backed down. Nobody would fight them. Nobody would like, and some of his hits were a little bit dirty, but for the most part, they're just hard hits. Right. And it just was just so amazing. Like how that changed everything. Yeah. Like kids were just tiptoeing around and the, the level of like the intensity, you could just feel it like amp up. Cause this guy's just all of a sudden they're like, Holy cow. There's this guy's on the ice. And like, they just, you can tell they never deal with that anymore. Like yeah. we dealt with that on a nightly basis. There was always a guy or two that I don't want to call him predatory, but they, that was kind of their job. Like they would hard hit. So you had to keep your head up. And, and if you got smoked, it was kind of your fault for going across the middle with your head down. Right. Like that was, that was yeah. part of it. Some of that's all changed and there's just not that element, which I don't know if it's good or bad. Like the skill level in hockey right now is elite. It's awesome. It's fun to watch. It's fast. So all that's there too, but there's that element of just getting knocked on your ass. That's kind of fun to watch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I think too, like, like you just said, I mean, the the funnel is getting so tight, like when it comes to you know who can't do the Michigan now. You I mean it's, it's like like right. it's crazy. Yep. You know what I mean? Like so all all those all that elite skill is coming to a head, and it's like now how do you how do you separate? Like how, how 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 talented you need to be to be like to stand out in that regard, right? And and I think like we've already touched on it now. If we're talking about a pro level or even like a championship team in any like junior mm-hmm. you know co- collegiate university like you need those guys because they just, a lot of these skill guys disappear. I mean, you watch it every year in the Stanley cup playoffs, right? Like right. the teams that sometimes get in, aren't the teams that win because these guys don't know how to deal when the physicality gets ramped up.
0: For sure. I mean, yeah, you can see it. And that's what was cool about Tampa is like uh, ultra skilled, but look at how big and strong their defensemen were. Right. Yeah. And here I'm at Duluth and uh, we had a guy here named Nick Wolf, who legitimately changed most weekends when he's on the ice. Cause he just had that open ice hit ability and he did it early, and he just smoke a guy in the rest of the weekend. Okay, like, it's just everybody on their tiptoes a little bit, right? Like, and Duluth was good enough with the rest of their players that they could they could make plays, they can score, they knew all the rest of it, and all of a sudden they've had both both elements, right? Yeah, where you, where you have some toughness in your lineup, like legitimate toughness, not just fake toughness, but legitimate toughness, and it makes a big difference for yeah.
1: sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I talk with the younger players too because that's the thing, right? Telling someone, at least from in my opinion, from a coaching standpoint, not everyone is going to be, of course, that big, the body checker, or the hitter, or the real physical guy, right? But I, when I even say competitive edge plan, I don't know if you agree, but, like, that second effort, that second level of, like, persistence and just annoyance that, like, I, I, I'm not going away. Like, you're not going to take this puck and get it easily. Like, I, I think that, like, even that level of competitive edge, like, I see, I, I, that's noticeable too, in my opinion.
0: Oh, 100% for sure. It's the big thing. And I think that a lot of kids now, because of the way hockey's played, like they get hit and they just sit there and go like, he, what? he hit me? You can't do that. Instead of like, like what well, you're talking about the kid that's competitive just gets up and starts playing again. Like he doesn't yeah. even think about it. Like, I want the puck back. I'm going to go get it. And that's that's the guys everybody's looking for, right? Like the guy that gets up, gives a second effort without even like, what? He slashed me, hit me. like, <laughs> And they kind of give up on the play, right? It's yeah. just like, you can't do that to me. You know who I am. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Right.
1: No. No, oh, that's great. Yeah, I know. And I think, th- yeah, whatever, the game figures itself out. I think I think the game has done a good job. The only thing I'm a little bit worried about, honestly, is just at the junior levels, how they're really taking, like, they're making it really hard, harder and harder to be physical. Um, yeah. And they are doing that with the fighting. And that's, like, I guess that's the age-old question, right? Is like, I I unfortunately think that in 20, 30 years, like, there isn't going to be any fighting because... Yeah, maybe that the NHL doesn't change the rule, but like you said, nobody's doing it anywhere. Yeah.
0: I think it's already changed, right? Like, there's not many fights. Like, I think about the year I was in Buffalo, we had like I think in 95 somewhere around there. We had three of the four most penalty minute guys in the league. Like, we didn't make the playoffs for that same reason. But like, they're at 300 PIMs a year. Yeah. What, what's the leading guy this year at maybe 100? Right. That's changed a lot. I mean, Brad
1: May was there when you were there, right?
0: Yeah, Brad May. Yeah, Bobby he was. Uh, he, yeah, he was a guest.
1: Um, under, uh, Pat, I don't know if you saw his name on there. Great, great guy. Obviously, I mean, I, I assume yeah. you yeah. like him. I, it, yeah. It's yeah. tough to find a person that doesn't like yeah. Brad May. Right. Um, but there was a guy who was a good player, right? First rounder. Um, yeah. Like, found is, I mean, he, he said himself, like, he just loved to fight. He's one of the few guys that I interviewed that just absolutely loved it. Like, he said, I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't love getting beat up because I loved I loved that aspect of the game. Well, he, the, yeah. And he said that's the only thing he misses about playing is that he doesn't get to fight anymore. Oh,
0: <laughs> uh, well, It's true, though. It's the only place you can get your angst out. Even you can just two-hand a guy and just, it's okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Even for a guy like me, I can go whack a guy and go, oh, at least I got that out. Right? Whatever. But, yeah, Brad May, he's, he's good. He was tough. His shoulder ended up popping out quite a bit after maybe his fifth or sixth year, so he didn't really fight much after that. But before that, like he one punched some guys, and it was like oh, just like unbelievable how strong and tough he was. And he could play hockey, so yeah, yeah he would be a he would be this he'd be the Tom Wilson of today probably.
1: another short break here just to remind you that uh, if you like what you listen to here I do provide this service for athletes and I provide this service for teams and associations so if you are a coach or if you are a parent or if you are an association director and you want to bring player development mindset development to your team uh, in a way that you've never seen before that's going to give you results that are going to blow you away uh, I'm your guy i would love to come out and chat i would love to see how we'd be a good fit and i'd love to support anyone with dreams and aspirations uh and who wants to get great at their craft so you can find me on up my hockey Uh, that's where a lot of my services are listed Uh, you can also find me on social media as you know you can dm me there talk with me there on messenger or instagram uh, is where i'm most active but by all means do not be shy Uh, this is progressive this is real this is happening, and it's making a massive difference for a lot of players. So please get on board. Hit me up. Um, the season is coming, and I would love to work with you. Now back to the episode with Derek. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because <laughs> he could play. And that's the thing. I mean, that the old school goon, obviously, is. there's no room for them anymore, I mean, assuming the old school goon couldn't play. But, I mean, those guys that can skate and hit and and, and still play the game, boy, that's, uh, they're worth their weight in gold. Getting get back to you, Planner. I was looking you up, and I have to ask because you're 89 draft, but you didn't start playing at Minnesota till 89-90. So you got you got drafted as a non-university player. Where were you the year you yeah, got drafted?
0: Well, I think that's a little bit how it goes in Minnesota. We got I got drafted out of high school, so 89 draft was the year I graduated, and then the next year I was playing here in Duluth. So I think it just it bodes that way, right? A lot of times most everybody back then played your played your high school hockey, and then you would go either – most guys will go to college if they're you know at that level or else they go play junior hockey after high school where now a lot of kids will go and play junior hockey maybe their junior and senior year and then maybe they get drafted and then they go to college kind of thing gotcha
1: so you weren't you weren't uh, an anomaly like there was other guys getting drafted at high school at that time
0: oh yeah for sure like I mean I was the eighth rounder so I mean I think that year uh Doug Zamolik went like fifth or fourth or fifth overall and Trent collad played those are all guys I graduated with the same year that, or Minnesota guys that got drafted in the first couple of rounds. So cool.
1: At that time, did you have? Um, I don't know. Like, was your sights was, was that your goal? Was your goal to, to, to wear an NHL jersey? Were you were you shooting for that, or were you more yeah, of a no, shooting for absolutely, university?
0: Absolutely not. Like, I was a late bloomer. Like, I, like I was super small. Like, maybe tenth grade, I was still like five one. So, I was just hoping to get to play my high school team. My like my <laughs> the high school coach called my dad to finally just ask, like, is it alright if we play him? Because I was. That was my 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 tenth grade year in high school and like, yeah, because I was always small, so it wasn't like changing anything, right? I was just always small. Yeah. It's like yeah, playing, but I did I did good, and then the next year I was good. So I mean, it was I just started to grow. I didn't grow till late, so I was like five six eleventh grader, and then I all the way to five nine when I graduated. So I grew another inch and a half in college. So it was just oh not, really? I was just not, I was just a late bloomer. So. It kind did of amazed me that I did get drafted because a lot of the a lot of the hype around here, I wasn't really recruited as a, a college player. Um, just I don't know if that was small or what the reason was, but a lot of the talk was like when I committed to go to Duluth, it was like, no, he'll never play. There's no chance. <laughs> like, right. So you know, I think that's to the mindset, right? Like I was gonna like, screw those guys, I'll show them. You know, and have, all that stuff helps, right? Sometimes getting getting squashed once in a while or told no once in a while is, is a good thing. Right. Well, yeah, great, great point. One Because what's the difference
1: between you using that as fuel and somebody else just going away and and getting their feelings hurt?
0: Right. You you don't know which guy that was because this is so hard to quantify all this stuff, right? But I think once you get towards the top, you can realize, like, I think even talking to my dad after the first year or two after being in NHL, I'm like, there's some guys that aren't on our team that are, like, unbelievable. But – just mentally, like every time the coach talks to him, they just go in the tank, you know. Like, and those guys sometimes that are playing the minors, or wherever. But it's such such a grind in the NHL. Like every night, like it's 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 all about your mind. I think. I think it's as much or more the most important thing. It's just how you deal with everything and and the willingness to fight through whatever's coming. Right. Which is what I mean. Which is so fun. Like,
1: how do I even phrase this? Like, I, th- I think. The the culture of like getting getting there right of of like coming up through the ranks like the the word was always mental toughness right like mm-hmm. are you mentally tough enough right or you need to be mentally tougher but there was never a book or like a how to like what how do you do that I mean how do you work on it you know what I mean so that's something that I've like I've personally been trying to like formulate is like yeah. what could, like what could I have used or what would be beneficial to like manage situations like, to manage your manage your mindset, right? To work on it as a skill. And I've actually created that. It's called the Peak Potential Hockey Project, which maybe we'll discuss it offline because I've yeah. been talking with some junior teams about it. But um, but like, yeah, because but, cause back in the day, like either you either you did connect the dots in a way that served you and supported you and your dreams, or you didn't. I mean, and, and it wasn't, I think everyone's capable of it, I guess, is, is where I come at this from. I, I have a growth mindset about it. I'm like, I think a lot of guys just don't have the perspective or the understanding of how, to use that you know in a way that's going to support them um, cuz you did and Danny Briere another I man i'm sure you love Danny too like what oh, a great story yeah, he sure. is absolutely but, yeah, phenomenal guy undersized forward has, has has having a hard time making that jump from the minors to the to the show ends up as a you know an all-star and a top 10 point guy in the NHL yeah and um and he used like he says like he would cut out the clippings that that the, of everyone telling him that he couldn't do it and he'd read yeah. them always like it was actually part of his like motivation plan you know like all <laughs> yeah, right so cool though right you mean because some guys wouldn't do that some guys wouldn't want to look at it and he, he no. found a way that i mean he did a lot of other things to, to get himself over the hump but as an undersized forward that was like you know what screw you guys i can totally do this and i uh i just love even sharing those stories with some of these younger players right because it's you know what do you want to do with that information right
0: yeah and that's that's the hardest part is you can have the information but are you going to use it or not use it you know like when I was doing development with the Blackhawks, we have these conversations often. We give them like tools to use, but it's 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 funny how rare guys will actually take advantage of those things. Like, you know, you're trying to literally help these guys, and sometimes they're just like, yeah, 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 okay. And then they don't do it right, and then they end up a couple years later, they just end up kind of failing because they don't have some of the tools that you tried to help them with, and it's it's sometimes frustrating in sport. And I'm sure you deal with some of the kids you use because it's not really all that much different between young kids and old kids and college kids. Like you're you're having the same conversations on the bench. You're having the same conversation in the locker room. A lot of times it's, you know, some are more serious, but it's, it's a lot the same thing. Like we have that all the time in college. Like there's, these are the things you probably need to work on. And then that kid won't work on them, whether it's even their shot or whatever. And they, they sometimes do the kids. Like there's some kids that are like, you say it once and they're going to fix it. Like, and those are the guys that make it right (laughs) And the guys that like you're like it'd be great if you could you know work on your shot or just supple hands or just cutbacks or whatever it is right and then they don't ever do it and then it doesn't get better but yet they expect to play more so that's that's always seems like the challenge as much as anything oh
1: my gosh planner you sent it like that's another so in this program i was telling you about like i i the, the last week is extreme accountability or extreme ownership is what i call it because, like, <laughs> like, accountability. yeah because it's like because that is it and it's like and i think when you really lay it out like like when i'm working with my with my athletes it's like i always start with the question of like what do you want but like you mm-hmm. tell me what you want and do you want to be your best or where do you want to get to whatever that goal is and then right. and then now i'm going to try and make you accountable to what that is it's not yeah. my idea right it's not derek plant's it's your I you told me right? right so now you told me so now let's figure out what that looks like and um and Brad Larson, a new head coach of the of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who uh, who I had on as a guest, he almost said verbatim what you said, like about he said even at the NHL level, he's like to have a guy commit to something. He goes, they'll walk into my office and they'll want to play more, or they want to be on the power play, or they will want to ask questions. He goes, that's part of the that's part of the game now, right? Like you right. you you know that too, right? As a coach, you have to be prepared to answer questions. Not like it was back when we played, but he says you give him the answer, and he's like. There's, he goes, the percentage of players that 30 days later are still, are, are still like, committed to working on whatever that thing is, he goes, it's almost zero.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, I love it that I come ask questions. I feel like I should be accountable if I'm a coach and I want to help you as much as I can. If you have questions, come ask me. But you also have to accept the fact that I might give you the answer you're not looking for, <laughs> right? Yeah. It might not be the best thing or it might be something you actually need to work on, and then we can go from there. And yeah. that's sometimes, that's where some of this, like, mental toughness and a little awareness of open mindset of all these things that they matter. They for sure matter. Yeah.
1: How does, um, as far as you and your assessment, um, of the personality or the player, uh, I had on Ryan Johnson, uh, previously, and, and he, he loves a player, uh, that has a high level of self-awareness, uh, it was able to uh, self-assess. So he's like, I don't want it to be – Trevor Latowski too, actually, another coach in the OHL. He's like, I don't want to go in and tell uh, – just keep – I don't want to talk the whole meeting. Like, I want to. I want some feedback. I want a guy to be able to tell me where he thinks he's at or how he's playing or where he thinks he needs to improve. Um, and for Ryan Johnson, the director of player personnel for the, for the Canucks, he's like, that's a big red flag if a guy can't self-assess for me. You know, he's like, yeah. I w- I want this guy to know, I want them to be able to reflect and understand where they're sitting at. Like, is, does that ring true for you too?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's always like, I'll go watch games when I was with the Blackhawks and I'd go watch games after. And, you know, it's always the first conversation. What do you think? And the, the, some guys are like pretty hard on themselves. And then usually the conversation goes pretty good, <laughs> quite honestly. Right. Cause they, they kind of want a feedback or, or maybe they just know they didn't play very good. They're, they're kind of cheating it, but the guy comes out and tells me he's playing really good, I don't even know where to go with that. Like, cause then you got to turn it around and go, no, you didn't play very good. Like, I don't even know, like it's almost a non-starter, right? Like come out and be honest. And like, yeah, I was pretty good tonight. Like, it's okay to say that too. If you did have a good game and you were, you were fine. But most of the time, the guys that have good games never say that. Right. So, <laughs> it's, right. I was okay. I could admit, you know, things went my way tonight or whatever, but they don't really say that. And the guys that, seem like they don't get it they, they have a good night every night yeah
1: yeah i know i hear that and, that's, I don't uh, even
0: have, and then it's a hard conversation like okay because um, then i'm not doing my job if i don't give them some feedback either the proper feedback and that's always a little bit hard because now you're like you don't want to crush kids because you know a lot of this is about confidence and keeping them in the right place and if you're not there every day they're kind of like yeah you're working on you're doing a good job and your only touch on them is is a negative one that doesn't help them either. So it's that's a fine line with that development stuff and trying to figure out where a kid's mind is.
1: Sure. And is that is that a big part of the puzzle for you? Like, um, yeah. Because I mean, I'll, I'll bring up a, I'll bring up a I'll bring up an old coach of ours, Bill Stewart, and maybe I'll ask you for your favorite Bill Stewart <laughs> uh, story. But here's an example of an old school coach from an old school system that actually had success in most places that he went, mm-hmm. but he had a one way of doing things in my opinion right and that one way worked for some guys and it didn't work for a whole lot of guys but he wasn't that worried about that he was worried about what his approach was and how he handled it right like i it seems like the like the coaching world is now migrating to a more like individual specific type of you know coaching philosophy right so like it sounds like you're trying to navigate the personalities within your development system or on your team now to find out what works best for them is that is that do you find yourself more into like the psychological work of it uh most of the time now
0: oh well yeah without being in it like yeah for yeah. sure you're just trying to figure out what makes this guy tick like you know you can go through all 20 guys and one guy needs to get yelled at to motivate him another kid needs to be just patted on the butt to get motivated and that's hard to navigate because sometimes it's, this doesn't work that way. Like sometimes you got to yell at the guy that needs a pat on the butt and then you got to figure out a way to deal with that. So yeah, that's that, I mean, that's probably the challenge for every coach. Right. And if you have a little bit hard time um, figuring that part out, you, you probably have a lot shelf life. Right. And that's probably where coaches get worn out on teams. Sometimes they, their their eyes, their concepts are good. It's just, they they're hard. Right. And I think that's, it's hard to be really hard all the time in today's culture and uh, today's player. Um, there's got to be a little give and take and they're a little bit a little more sugar than there used to be probably yeah yeah for sure do
1: you um just because i'm thinking about bill stewart now did you like we're jumping around with your career but i mean you had a great season at at, in the swiss league yeah Uh, germany recruited you or i I don't even know how that process went you end up coming over and you know from a point standpoint didn't have a thriving year in man yeah.
0: yeah that was a that was a challenge for me i mean on the backside of it, I never really, I don't know you know if I told most people, but like I went to Switzerland, I had a really bad back for like five, six years. And then in Switzerland, I'm like, I either got to get it fixed or I'm done playing. Cause I had, I had no disc left in my thing. And it was just like, it was seizing up and all kinds of issues. So I ended up having a, a, uh, a back fusion <laughs> that year before, right? Which I don't know if there's, I don't know if anybody's had a back fusion and played again, right? so so like but i mean that was in that was in like june or well maybe it was may may april somewhere around that maybe april and then so when they called me from Mannheim, they they said well we want to offer you a two-year contract and i'm like i literally told them on the phone like i just had i haven't skated once and this is like the middle of july i'm like i haven't even skated because i haven't been allowed to skate you know on on the phone and said "Ah, i don't care as long as you can get ready so like I had literally only skated for maybe a week before I showed up at training camp. I could barely stop and start. Right. So I had a tough start there, you know, like, but I wasn't going to sit there and complain and say like, ah, this is why I'm doing shitty. Like I wasn't doing good, but I knew why I knew why I wasn't doing good. <laughs> right. Like, this, this too shall pass and I'll everything will work itself out. And it, it really didn't turn work itself out. Cause I think Bill was only there for what, a month, month and a half. And then he got fired. And then, the new coach came in, and I, I don't know that I really had. They're like, well, you don't have any points. Why would we play you more? And I just never really got off that, that merry-go-round in the next year new coach. And, yeah. So that was a bit frustrating because I think I would have been a lot better there if I would have obviously come there fully healthy and had a better first opinion. Yeah, that's nuts. So you,
1: so you had that good year. You had that good year with a bad back, but not a fused back. And then, so after that year in Switzerland, you got you got your back fused, and you had you hadn't skated again since the surgery when you came to us.
0: Basically, right? I couldn't. Even, I literally left Duluth without being able to stop and start, like going full speed.
1: That's insane. I don't. I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't know that.
0: I could hide it good enough. I could skate well enough that I could hide it well enough. But it was hard. Like then to make contact, I was like, first time I hit somebody, I'm like. Oh, boy, I hope this holds up, you know, like. Yeah. So. I what this was it? Did it. What did you get fused? L5, S1, down at the bottom. Oh, wow. Hey. Right. So, I mean, I had it when I was in the NHL, too. I mean, a lot of, there's four years where, like, if I bent over to take a face off, I could had to hold my breath just because I couldn't bend over in that position. So, <laughs> it was worth getting done. Like, it's been way better since. But that was a little bit frustrating that year because I just, you know, I wasn't going to not take the opportunity because I wasn't like I was lying to anybody. I was I was fully upfront and told them what had happened. And right. maybe they knew what that meant. Maybe they didn't even know what that meant. I don't know. But yeah, that's was, crazy. That's good. Wow. So, See the stuff you learn. Yeah. Right. Having, having a chat. Uh, I and mean,
1: then yeah. you ended up me. and then the, the, the funny thing was just for the listeners. So well, not funny, but like, so we played together. Yeah. I end up, I end up retiring or I think I retire mm-hmm. uh, we, we that one year we went to the final and I was like my shoulder was messed and injuries and I had yeah. the concussion and everything else. And I'm like, OK, that's enough. I'm going to go to university. I thought I was I had this university in my head that this is where I this is where I need to go. So I go there after the first semester, like when you're not looking for work because when everyone's looking for you. It's like so funny. Right. Yeah. At least that's the way it right. seemed. And the phone kept ringing, the phone kept ringing, the phone kept ringing. And then finally, uh, but it was like, it, it was cool spots like Milan or Copenhagen or like kind of these more obscure leagues that I didn't even really know places that had leagues, right? Right. Um, but I said no, I said no. And then Japan called. It was like <laughs> right, right around Christmas time, right? I'm like, Japan? I didn't even know Japan had a league again, right? I'm like, right. really? <laughs> yeah. And, um,. <clears throat> And found out a little bit more about it. They had only the one import system, as you know, obviously. And, and the money was, like, really good. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to Japan. Like, <laughs> this, this sounds awesome, right? Like, when do right. you get a chance to go to Japan and live? And it was on the North Island of Hokkaido. And anyway, so I go there. And then you're you're playing for Nippon. So then, like, we crossed paths. <laughs> and you're like- playing the league part, too, at that point. Like, was your... um. Were you feeling then like had you like now understood how to play and your back was now strong enough? Yeah, and that well, were...
0: That's the thing. Probably halfway through that first year, even in Mannheim, I was probably by then. If I would, if I was at that point when I started, things would have all changed, right? Like, right. like I didn't, like you look back at the stats, the stats aren't terrible for a guy that played fourth line and hardly played. You know, yeah. I think even in Mannheim, I had almost 15 goals and whatever. I hardly played, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, it was refreshing to go over there. And the same thing that you said, like, I'm like, at that point, I knew I was just about done. So why wouldn't I go over to Japan? And they have, you know, they have like a college schedule, 36 games, a lot of breaks, good money. And it was it was awesome. It was, a, it was a fun experience. And, yeah, and it was fun because I, by that time, that was two years after my surgery. I played two seasons and my back was feeling great and everything was, I was feeling healthy. It, it was this fun hockey I've had in a long time. So, right. Yeah, what were your cool. takeaways from your time there? Like,
1: I mean, because it is obscure. I mean, to, to even have a chat about, like, Japanese hockey on the podcast, <laughs> a lot of people would probably be interesting. Like, was, like my, I don't know where – I don't even remember where your city was, but like, I was on the north island of Hokkaido. Yeah, so we we're, we're,
0: were on the other end of the island oh, in okay. So, yeah, we are what, a two-hour flight from Tokyo? And that was nice, too. We flew everywhere because we were on the island, except right. for when we uh, played you guys, we'd take a bus across the island. Or not a bus a train we take the train across the island but what I, I was a little bit lucky because we had they put a little bit money in the team and we had like four or five guys that were north american guys that weren't considered imports because they'd already been there for like 10 years and they all knew the language so it was really easy for us and i just had the greatest time because they're all about my age and, and like you know like this is kind of funny they had like two kind of bars there one where you I guess you sit with a geisha girl and you sit there for an hour and you have some drinks with her and try to talk to her, but she can't talk English. So you just sit there and talk to whoever you're with, (laughs) your buddy or whatever. Or you can go to the karaoke bars, which are like, they're everywhere. Right. And when you go to a karaoke bar there speaking English and we start singing, like we're rock stars. I just remember that being so much fun. Like we had a lot of time doing that. And, uh, when, you know, we weren't playing hockey, we'd go to those, some of those bars and, and sing karaoke. I'm like the worst singer ever, but. There, people be like, more. We want more. Like, ah, finally, somebody appreciates me. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, man. Like, there was zero English. Like where I was, like zero. Like right. it was, it was right. really isolated. It was like very, very traditional Japanese culture. And um, what were the names of those? Like, what did they call those bars you're talking about with the with the geisha girl? Or it wasn't really a geisha girl. I
0: don't was. know because you know, again, like everything's in Japan. So when they said it to me, it's just like, what? What did you just right. say? Yeah, they That's had
1: some names because the boys would always say, it. You go into the whatever, right? Like, right. And, and I can't remember what the name of that was. But yeah, that was, like, how about that, like, super traditional, right? Like, as far as like male female, even dynamic there. Like, it was uh, like that to me great. was like, Holy smokes.
0: Very service oriented, right? So everybody was so nice and always th- treating everybody super good. Like, we had a great experience. And it was fun for us, too. Like, the players, yeah, we'd fly to, you know, Tokyo and play my wife and they wouldn't really fly with us often so they they stayed in in Kushiro which is kind of a fishing village not a huge city um, but we got to go to Tokyo once in a while and we went to China a couple times and so that was an unbelievable yeah. experience to go watch and see all those places but what do you think of the hockey uh, i mean we beat one china team 24 to nothing so i mean it wasn't great but there was there was enough teams like you guys, uh, the team in Tokyo. There was probably four teams that were really competitive. One of the Kushiro teams was really competitive, or not Kushiro, Korea teams. It was really competitive. So I mean, when it got towards the end when the playoffs started, the games were pretty good, and yeah. it was it was fun. It was fun. Like, yeah. I was at the stage where I was there as much to have fun with all of it and and not worry about it. But we I had to
1: really uh, like the Japanese players. My opinion, like I I thought they were like they were good players, like on an individual level. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was just like this, like the way they played, was that was the biggest uh, transition because where I thought somebody would be. You know, there's times in a game where, at least for me, like I, I don't, I, I don't have my head up and have a full awareness of where everyone is on the ice at all times, right? Like, so you'll make a play under pressure with somebody on you, and you think that there's supposed to be somebody. Right. in X place, right? So you put right. the puck there and there's nobody there, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like that was one thing that I found is just like kind of like the the natural hockey instincts or at least North American hockey instincts. Like right. that that wasn't really existed. So I had to figure that out.
0: Right. I got to, I was lucky enough I got to play with a Ryan Kubara for the most part. which was a good player. He was, I think he played AHL and stuff and we had we had a really good power play. I think our power play is like 55 or 60%. So we had some guys that kind of knew what they're doing and the supplemented with some pretty good Japanese players. Um, I think like you said, though, like what happens there is like they get to a certain level of player and then they they can't. There's those guys could probably get way better, but there's nobody there to push them because they're just so far from anybody. Like they can't go just play Sweden. They can't. They they get to a certain level and there's nobody to challenge the really good players. And they and then they kind of tap out, too. So I know that they could really skate. We had a couple guys on our team that were absolutely like jets. Like they were so fast. Like I played the left winger there like I'd get it on the right side and he's a left winger i just get it i'm like you just fly on that wall i just get it and turn it off that wall and he went Phew! and he fly right ball he, you know he get three breakaways a game and he had like 40 goals on the year. like it was just easy right like he's just catch him in full flight once he figured it out he's like oh i like this this is good yeah, <laughs> yeah that's perfect um
1: let's talk about your your time at minnesota duluth uh you know, I was a WHL guy. I mean, so I, I like yeah. talking with guys that played played university. I mean, he, you and I can't can't uh, you know compare because we weren't in both spots. But like, was was that sounds like as a late bloomer? And that's the one thing I've I've talked about on the show lots of times. Like juniors like more of a rush, right? Like you're 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 quicker, and then if you're not in the NHL, then you're in the AHL. And the irony in that is is that you can be washed up at twenty two, twenty three in the eyes of like the higher-ups whereas you guys coming out of college are still fresh young faces right like so um so so for somebody like that was growing late that was smaller I assume that that was just a perfect fit for you
0: oh yeah perfect especially I wasn't even like thinking about the NHL I was just worried if I was gonna be able to play in college and and so yeah that was great for me it was a great experience it was you know some of my best friends were my college roommates when I you know when I got here so all that part was awesome I met my wife there um but the hockey was good like you know, I didn't really know what the Western League or the OHL or any of that stuff was really until maybe even the last six, seven years when I was with with Chicago. Like I, you always hear about it, and down here you kind of get a, a misnomer, like it's this and that, and it's not good, and blah blah blah. Right? They paint the black picture. Uh, and it's a good it's it's a good avenue for a lot of kids, but I would still say after seeing both, it is better for a kid that's probably a later mature because it just gives you more time, right? And so many kids are signing from college now anyway, like. If you had a being that player that's that good, then you just leave college after two years, right? Go right. No, like nobody's stopping you. College is always there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think the guys that play in the Western League and the OHL, like, if you're a top top pick, it doesn't matter where you go, you're going to make it. Yeah, ultimately. But
1: so. yeah, and that was a tough. Like, I remember for me, like the big thing <clears throat> for me because it was. I mean, I like you said earlier. I mean, I was a you know a high highly prospected player yeah. or whatever, right? So. Right you know, there was a chance, I mean, I was the last cut from Florida at 19, there was a chance that I was going to play at nineteen twenty oh, right, in the NHL. So I was like, I, I was, I was good in school. So like that, that option was there and I played with Korea and Penticton. So like that, I was in that tier two route, yeah. right. Like which, which was yeah. scouted. And so there was the opportunity there, but the issue for me was my draft year was going to be in the BCJHL, which at the time wasn't that advantageous to like, you know, I mean, getting picked high. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be, my draft year which would have been my third year then of that league too right which you know okay. you're getting a little long in the tooth there and anyway oh, so it's well, kind of I those, those factors agree. like um made me be like well no i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna go junior and whatever i mean I had the time of my life and you know everything everything yeah. kind of works out i don't know for sure you know, I, I, I don't know if i'd say i would do it again differently but i would like to try it that'd be for sure like i think it'd be interesting to be able to do both right. um but, yeah, I mean, I remember J- I had Jason Blake on just a little while ago, and that's a perfect example. Like, I had been traded twice, right, already in the American League. I'd led the American League in goals, was kind of washed up in some people's <laughs> eyes. I was younger than Jason Blake, and yet he came to came right. to L.A. as a free agent, right, and, like, ended up, yeah. like, he was, like, the <laughs> shiny new penny, right? And it was like, right. what's going that's on It's a here?
0: weird concept. I see that often, like, oh, what is going on? Because I've seen that when I was, well, Chicago, all of a sudden you're signing a guy that's, Older than the guy you have that played well with you for the year before because you've already – you have an experience with that guy and you don't feel like he's getting where you want him to go. You kind of, like, give up on him. Yeah. Even, though even You know, if that other guy was in that same shoot, maybe you would have given up on him too. I, it's a weird <laughs> concept, that's for sure. Yeah. That's a good point. That's that's really interesting. I guess the other part, too, that I, I kind of take a step back because I, I mean, it's easier for me to college, college, college because I'm in college and I think it, it is a great route, but, like, colleges aren't going anywhere. How many other kids that don't get a scholarship and go other, still go to college and go places, right? Yeah. So It's not like it's the end of the world if you, if you play in the Western League and it doesn't work out. Like You can still go to college. You can yeah. still go to college. I mean, it's nice that you can get it paid for. And now I think they're doing a lot better job with their packages and actually paying out on them too. So I don't know. Everybody's got a path, a different path. I can't say one's way better than the other. And right. It kind of depends for everybody.
1: Well, I like. I mean, the WHL guys now they have that. Um, like the Canadian system's getting a heck of a lot better because yeah. because that the WHL OHL packages are now allowing that. Right, guys are paying right. out on that. So instead of having to sign, I think the biggest thing is that change is that you sign an NHL deal previously. Like in my generation, like that, right. y- your whole thing was null and void, right? But now you right. actually have to sign. Like an any like a CHL AHL contract doesn't do anything for you, right?
0: Like you. Still I think, that you think they, they still have some parameters on it, but I think they give you like a year, or like yeah, a year and a half to. Kind of like if you play past a year and a, I'm not sure. Like, you'd have to, the word is yeah, yeah. understood as it's a year and a half of playing, and then you kind of have to make a decision if you can to use the package or not, right? Are you familiar with Derek
1: it. Ryan and his story? Not really. No. Yeah. So he, um, he was one of the few, and there's going to be more now, but like he, he played in Spokane after yep. I was there, um, was a good player, never got drafted, uh, obviously didn't have any U.S. eligibility, right? And went yep. to, I think it was U of A in, uh, and the university uh, Canadian university system ended up getting a job in like an obscure kind of Austrian league. And anyways, then worked his way like out of that to like okay. Swiss league and then to the okay. NHL. He's been in NHL like at 30, I think. Well, I don't know. I, I get his age wrong now, but th- his path is just absolutely nuts. Like it was awesome to follow, to follow sort of his, his progression and hear him talk about it. And, like that, I said, everyone has an individual path. There's no one way to, to oh. get to the NHL. That's for sure.
0: That is interesting. Cause that is a path that's, way more prevalent than ever. I mean, nobody would even look at those teams as far as NHL teams now. But now there's such a, a vacuum of needing to have young players, free Asian players that, like you said, like some of those kids are going to play there and it's not the worst thing in the world. They're getting they're getting they're getting signed out of those leagues, which is yeah. really probably pretty cool in the big picture. What um,
1: as far as you being with the U S development system, I know that there's been a lot of discussion between, you know, hockey Canada and USA and, and, and really with a lot of fingers pointing at the USA system as being a, a superior developmental system, like how you guys have it set up there. What I know you can't probably, you know, compare it to, to Canada cause you're not in, in the Canadian system, but what do you think that you guys are doing well there that uh, that's working?
0: I think I, well, I think at the bottom line of all this is pure numbers, right? Like, I think the more people you have playing the better chance you have of getting good players and we have more people playing in untraditional areas than ever before so you're just getting more athletes playing hockey And i think that's ultimately what i what i see in canada happening just because we do recruit there quite a bit and i watch quite a bit up there is there's a lot more of the private school stuff or and i don't know how that helps because I, you know i know some younger kids because i have oh sixes so i've known some of the kids up there that have played all the way from Peewee's through and and see where their path, where some people can afford to go to the academies and some can't afford to go to the academies, even though they're, they're equally good players. Like how does that affect Canada? I don't, I'm curious how that's going to affect Canada going forward. I think, I think that again, like if you have less players playing and only the good players playing, maybe you're going to miss out on a whole half a dozen dozen out of each grade group that were making it in the past. Right. I, I don't know factually how that's turning out, but that would be my trend that I see happening in Canada a lot is there's becoming a lot more of that Academy stuff where everybody's got to go to the Academy here in BC and the Academy in Alberta and, yeah. and that, that narrows it down a lot earlier and else you're maybe you're not getting some players that play as long I don't know
1: yeah well, I mean yeah there's definitely an argument there like I think Hockey Canada Obviously, just my opinion. I don't. I don't think they've done a very good job of being able to compete with those. Like th- those things came into existence because Hockey Canada wasn't serving a purpose, right? Or, or wasn't serving what people right. thought they needed, right? So now they're behind the eight ball and they're trying to catch up. And I think for the competitive players, there needs to be, there needs to be a different avenue, right? Uh, I don't. I mean, I can't. I wouldn't lay it out here what I think my thoughts are on that, but, <laughs> um, but, there, but right. But there is like you're losing players out of out of out of the Hockey Canada system. Two private systems. Um, I do have a dog in the fight. Like do, do, with the USA Development Program, I guess one one of the things that is a draw for for Canadian families is is more well more ice time really more dedicated like sports specific like training. Right. So they're they're on the ice almost every day, sometimes for up to two, two and a half hours. They'll have their workout that's included with their school system. This starts in like peewee, like for us, like U 13. Right. People are sending their stuff there. You mean you know, sometimes even in uh, I mean, Bantam for sure. And I, I mean, I I think that's too early personally um, I think there's a lot of time to make it a job and uh, I'm not saying kids get burnt out or anything I just don't think it's good for the mind or the body I don't think at that young at that young of an age like when does US development like if you're an elite player like when does it start to get serious and, and what does that look like for a player that that is in the system
0: uh, so like the US development program is really based on it's it's basically one team of like 22 23 kids um, so the the most recent team that tried out is the05s so they, it's all kind of works up to that at some point to be, I guess, when they're 16 or 17 would be their first year there. And usually it's a two-year program, and most kids are like then junior and senior in high school, if that makes sense, Le- grade 11 and 12. Again, there's some late birthdays that end up being younger, but that's usually one or two guys on the team. Um, before that, I think it's everybody's kind of path on their own to kind of figure out what's going on and where they should play. We have a different dynamic here in Minnesota than everybody else where we have association hockey, uh, then turns into high school hockey, which is all really helpful in, in keeping a lot of players playing.
1: Mm-hmm. And our
0: high school has a lot of tradition, so a lot of kids will still stay and play in high school hockey, where in a lot of other states that's kind of been way, gone by the wayside. Because, again, it's, I think a lot of it becomes a lot of people are in a hurry. Everybody's in a hurry, right? And it's no different than going to the academies in Canada or we got to go play AAA hockey in the States, where, you know, you're narrowing that that group of kids a lot earlier when you don't really need to. And I don't know that anybody's really getting anywhere any faster because still time only goes so fast. And, and kid might be the best player at 13 or 14, but he's not always the best player at 16 and 17. And there's other yeah. kids that pop into that group. But that's why it's important to keep more kids playing. I don't think it changes a ton. The best players end up being kind of the best players it seems like. But there's a whole bunch of other players that filter into that group. Yeah. And they're not playing in, in good areas, that, 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 that doesn't help them.
1: I love Josh Norris's story. I had him on, um, you know, Calder finalists this year, uh, Ottawa Sanders uh, player, yeah. and his. Uh, well, you probably know that name even from Germany, yeah. right? When we played in Germany, we played against his dad.
0: Yeah, tear us up a little bit there over there.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and um, so he like so his dad coached him growing up. I mean, he played he played his his. Uh, a lot of his junior hockey or youth hockey i should say in germany because that's where his dad was playing right and then they came back to the states and his dad was coaching him there and there was a decision i think it was his bantam year um second year bantam year which is starting to get now serious right mm-hmm. like wh- where he could have left and played triple a somewhere but he decided to stay and play double a like with his dad like which um you know and look at him now you know what i mean like there's right, such yeah. a rush to play at that right the best level. And, and for something, mean, I just don't know if that's always the best, especially if you're not going to be the best at the best level, you know, like when yeah. you're a youth player, right. You want to have the right. puck in your stick. You want yeah. to be able to score goals. You want to have some fun. Right.
0: Yeah, I, for sure. I, I mean, I, I, try to say it as much as you can. It's not the easiest thing to do is to try to find yourself where you're right in the middle, right. Where you're getting pushed all the time, but you're having moderate, modern mode of success. Yeah. Uh, I think that's where you want to be. That's the sweet spot. And so you don't want to be at the bottom end of a team and you probably don't, I mean, it's okay to be at the top end for a little while, but they, you have to get pushed at some point too. Right. Yeah. So there, there is some merit to uh, moving up, like we call it or going yeah. to a better level when, when it's appropriate. But So the USA development, so there's a,
1: there's some type of an ID process, I guess, nationally to identify yeah. like how we end up or how you end up at this top 20, 20 players at this 16 year old age. Group, yeah. Right? So like the
0: development program team, they have a, uh, like John Van Briesbeck kind of overlooks all that, and they have a couple scouts that go out and just kind of evaluate that age level for the whole country. And then they, you know, they'll have a tryout, they have a 40 man camp for the development program team, and they'll bring those kids there. And then whatever kids don't make it go to this, they have a it's called the selects, and then every, all those are kind of fed through each state. Each state has a di- through their whole state will have a, a tryout. Kind of a funneling process that's really almost probably too long but it's almost a two-month process where they start in their local areas go to more central location and more central location then they'll pick for minnesota I, I think it's based on how many kids are registered in your districts like minnesota gets 23 kids to go to that camp or maybe montana gets four you know what i mean just because right. they don't have a ton of hockey players i could be wrong on that number but yeah, yeah, yeah. good example right so um that's how that you know, and the evaluation process isn't perfect either because it's like any coach or any other team that you see. Like, I like one player, you like another player. I don't know if either player is really better than the other. It's just what I like and what you like, right? And it comes yeah. down to. It.
1: I mean, the really easy
0: ones are the are the best players. Those are easy, but it gets yeah. a little hard. So those kids make it out to that camp, and then they make they usually pick a team from that camp out in New York or Buffalo's where they have that camp.
1: Is that funded as a parent then? Like, how does, if you get selected, what, what is it?
0: Yeah, well, like, if you get to make the team, the Lincoln team, that's all funded. When, once you uh, – I think we paid for ZAM to get to Newark. No, we didn't. The USA Hockey did all that. But the, the funding to get to the tryout, that's all funded on the on the play, on the the families um, and the whole process in there. And each one of those processes is probably four processes, all a couple $300. So it's yeah. not a cheap process to get the, to Buffalo, I guess. Um, but then if they actually make the, that 20-man team, because there's a team for that, for the Five Nations, it's the year before. It's the same process. And then, uh, and then it, that team's over in Switzerland now.
1: Just take a short break from the interview with Derek to say thanks uh i haven't said thanks in a while i know i took a break and you are still here still listening still sticking with me i know podcasts can be very habitual i know they are with me uh, so once I get into a listening habit, I, I choose a show and I stick with it for a while. And if that show goes goes dark like mine did for six weeks, it's tough maybe to get back in the habit. Uh, but I do thank you for listening and tuning in. If this happens to be your first episode, by all means, please subscribe to the podcast. Please share it uh, amongst your, your inner circle. Uh, the reviews that I get and the feedback that I get from DMs is, is so inspiring to me. I love that parents and athletes can listen to these stories. Um, I, I love that the stories uh, motivate, educate, um, inspire, like I said, and, and that is really the beauty of what this whole platform is about, to provide wisdom to others uh, that, you know, some of us, like Derek and I, wish we knew when we were going through it. So, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you much for your subscriptions. Thanks for your reviews. If you haven't reviewed, I know there's a lot of you out there that tell me I have. I want to. I'm going to. I'm going to. I promise. Well, just do it. Do it. Put a review up there. It totally helps. We'll get some momentum rolling with the podcast again and start climbing up the charts with these new episodes. So, thanks again. Now, back to the episode with Derek Plant. also, you talk about intangibles, and I wonder, you as an evaluator, I I, I know the answer at the collegiate level that it's beyond. It's beyond just what they're doing on the ice, because you're talking to these to these athletes and these kids off the ice, and to see what you know, kind of what their makeups like and what they're made of. Uh, are, are there intangibles that you look at even at the more youth level? Because I, I, that's one thing I talk to players about is like what you just said. I mean, what what somebody sees is something that somebody else doesn't right. see, right? Yeah. But there there are intangibles on the ice that are going to make you be favorable in almost everybody's eyes you know that, that people aren't doing but so there's on ice intangibles I'm talking about an off ice intangibles how much do you get into the off ice intangibles at uh at whatever level
0: well I, I think they're huge like that's the difference I think I mean hockey sense is like if you can recognize hockey scent that's huge right because those guys seem to grow the most but what's the demeanor and what's 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 in here right what's in your heart? Cause that's the guys that kind of seem to end up making it that's probably the hardest thing to determine is what's kind of in their heart and a lot of times that's why that's what's really been hard over the last year with the COVID is trying you know all of our recruiting for the last year has been on video and i think that's what's so hard to pick up on on the video for me is you know now i've gone to a few games and i can watch a player really intently and and i think a kid really exposes his character and all that stuff in a game if you watch close enough you know, just, like, when you miss a pass, does he go like this? Does he, like, like give me a better pass? Like, all those things are little cues, like, for me. Or is he just put his head down and go get the pop, right? Like, that's the kid I'd be looking for. Like, all those little cues are things that you can't see on video sometimes unless unless the, the camera's right on them. But the camera works not so great. And what are they doing when they get back to the to the bench? Are they, like, talking with their teammates? Are they slamming their stick? Are they, are they mad at themselves, which I think is kind of cool a lot of times? Or are they mad at their teammates? they got a bad pass or they made a bad shot right yeah like i think all those little intangibles like you can tell by just watching and then once it gets to a certain point then it's obviously you want to meet them and talk to their coach and all the other stuff that goes with it because you can make it a long way with a lot of character yeah. right and if you don't have it it can derail you pretty quick <laughs> yeah, man, great points. me. I mean,
1: Stacey Roos, again, you almost echoed what he said, assistant general, GM there for Tampa Bay Lightning, He was director of player development for a while with the Lightning, and he said, yeah, when he was watching players, like, of course you're watching what they do with the puck, but a lot of times when the, the, eye, the eyes are on what's happening when he doesn't have the puck, meaning – like body language, meaning interaction with teammates, meaning like what happens when it's all on the line and maybe this thing doesn't go his way, right? Like, 100%. and that's the thing, I think the 17, 18-year-old, 16, any, whatever, 23-year-olds, like that's that's not something that is usually on the radar of most most athletes, right? Like no. you're on auto-response react mode just because that's the way that you've always been, been uh, you yeah. haven't really dissected yourself that way. And I think... Gosh, like, because it is a choice. I mean, you can you right. can actually make a difference and make a different choice in that moment that's going to be favorable right. for you. But usually, right. we're not. It, you know, the general athlete just isn't there. You know, on a right. develop, personal development right. standpoint. Um, but my gosh, I mean, you can do yourself a lot of favors, and that's why I just get I get fired up doing what I do because it, when these guys start getting the lights turned on and be like, oh yeah, I can actually I can become a better teammate. Like, there, there's ways to be a good teammate. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and if and if I want to follow through on that, I can actually improve that intangible and make myself more desirable. You can have a huge
0: impact on a game whether you're playing great or you're the best player or not. Like just by how you treat your teammates, how you how you interact. Are you inclusive? Are you all these things that make your teammate feel like teammates, or are you a guy that's doing the opposite of that, make yeah. you feel isolated, and bring like downer every day? Or like, I mean, that's just how you carry yourself a lot of times. And I think that. That's a huge part of all team building and being in a team, right? Yeah. So, no, for sure. There was, I had one client once.
1: I, I, I think this is such a perfect story because there is an opportunity in every situation. And, like a guy like Stacey Rooster, a guy like yourself that's now evaluating a player, like this kind of stuff is noticed. And, and the story goes that he was, he was, it was overtime, his defenseman. Um, and this coach, for whatever reason, decided that he wasn't – it's five-minute overtime. He never got a shift in overtime, right? Yeah. Thought he was having a good game, the player. Obviously, the opportunity that the player wanted was to be on the ice to help his team score the goal yeah. or whatever, right? Like, that's what he wanted. That's what his focus was. This is the opportunity that he thought was there, and that was taken away from him. And because it was taken away from him, guess what he did, right? He kind of moped on the bench, and he didn't – he wasn't really congratulating his teammates. He stormed out of the dressing room, didn't talk to the coach, like had a shitty week of practice, and – You know, like, was then now stuck in a slump? Coach doesn't like me. How come I can't get on the ice? Like, so that was his narrative. That was his story, right, for what happened in overtime. Right. Whereas I was like, well, what if that was the opportunity for you to be a great teammate? Right. Like, what if that was the opportunity that was there? Like, even when things aren't going great for you, that you're going to be there for your teammate, for your boys to make sure that they're up. And maybe that was an opportunity for you to work in your communication skills and talk to your coach about, hey, what he saw that game that didn't think that you should be on the ice. And then there all of a sudden the light switch goes on. It's like holy, yeah. It's so like I mean, yeah. getting like being able to see opportunities when generally maybe they're not the ones you want to see, but they're still there, right? They're right. still there, and they're still going to support you, and they're still going to help you. Um, that's a that's a that's a skill,
0: I think, and uh, and it's one that can be taught. Absolutely, it's it's a hard one to teach because you got to catch them in the moment a lot of times, right? Yeah. And if you're not there in the moment, you can't teach it. But when you see it, you got to bring it out, and I think it's it's in. Like, what if the coach would have said that and he was positive? Like, the next time, like, he's gonna be thinking, Oh, I, I do gotta play him. Just think of he, he's in, he's 100% in, he's a team guy. He's like, blah, blah, blah. You got all these these positive connotations with you yeah. and your coach. Like, for sure, just want you to succeed for sure. I
1: love the follow up, and that's I me mean, getting back to what we were talking about earlier with this with the ability to self assess and be self. I mean, if you can turn yeah. up your self awareness dial, it's so, like in the moment you're not caught in it, like, you you can you can separate yourself for a, for a second there and like be able to, like, digest how, how can I act right now? It's going to like serve me and serve this team, uh, like big plus, you know, the other thing is like afterwards, then like, what did I learn from that scenario? Like, what did I learn from that moment? Yeah. And to have somebody ask the right questions. And I know it as a head coach, like you, you can't have that, that conversation 20 times every game. Um, <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? But it's like, how do you incorporate that into the culture? So like they are, kind of asking that question what can they learn because I, I i i would assume at that year level that's a big part of it too is creating that culture of of better getting better of team you know i mean of how we support each other and what does a high performance culture look like
0: yeah absolutely it's it's we talk about it a lot but like i i think it's really hard to put a finger on it unless you're around it and then you kind of guide it in the right direction maybe because it all there's a lot of ways to be positive or competitive and it, you know, a lot of it depends on the, the group and how many are in that group. And <laughs> can you kind of like focus more on those guys and like right. promote those guys because they're doing the right things. And, and then like maybe the other ones, kind of oh, that's how it's done. Let's do it that way. Right. Mm. Um, but that's hard. That's that, that is a hard thing. Like I, I, team dynamic is a hard thing and trying to get it in the right direction. And I think what happens, well, we've kind of luckily here in Duluth, we've got a good culture and that's why they've won some championships recently is, you got guys here that are pretty good character and they learn from the older guys. Right. And how, this is how we do it. This is just how we do it here. And they've carried that over. And as long as you don't add too many bad elements, I think you can probably even add one or two elements that are shady. Cause there's no place for them to grow and get better. If the rest of the group's strong and yeah. at some point they kind of fall in line too. And then I think, I think most people, once they get in line, you're like, wow, this really works. And this is like, cause winning's fun. Like being positive and being a good teammate is fun when you realize like I'm having what I'm still scoring 30 goals and like, we're having this much fun and I don't have to do it by myself. Like that's more fun. Like it's think getting over that hurdle sometimes of like we get promoted. Like I need to score. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to, you know, like the, a lot of times think you need to do it by yourself, but when you can find that culture where everybody's kind of pulling on a chain, like you still get all that stuff, but now you're winning and it's just, Life's way
1: more fun when you're really yeah. on, that, when you're on oh, a team. Amen. amen. I mean, yeah, because the game, well, at the professional level, and, you know, I mean, you had way more experience in the NHL than me, and you already mentioned, like, it's a pressure cooker, you know. Like, it, it gets like that even, like, earlier now, like, where it's all, like, it's so, you know, it, it, I don't know what the right word is. It's not It's not necessarily, like, pro, but it's, like, it's just really serious. And, like, the fun, which is why we put the skates on in the first place. Like, yeah that needs to be like that needs to be central. So you're not going to be you're not going to be good at what you do. I learned a great lesson
0: when I was at Duluth cuz I I also played uh baseball. <laughs> um but baseball is division 2. And going from like the like everybody's great teammates, but it's almost like a bunch of sharks in a room in division 1 hockey, right? Like you're cheering for each other, you're pulling for each other, but at the same time you all want to play and you all want to be the best. It's just a bunch of type A's like right? That's just how it is, and that's what also makes it great is because every day you got to be on, right? Mm. Then I would go play baseball where they're really not – they're not going to the Major League Baseball. They're they're, they're there to go to school, have a great time with the guys, and play some baseball. And it was such a different culture of just, like, I go on our bench where it's – I love that environment. Like, it's high pressure. It's whatever. Um, But then go to the baseball culture where, like, we're just hugging each other, just having a great time. Like, it's not like, you can't do that don't talk like that don't screw around like you know like that's kind of how it gets sometimes like you got to be serious all the time and yeah it was pretty cool to see like and we had good baseball team right so i mean it's good to kind of see like you can do a little bit of both mix those things together and and still be productive and happy but yeah i i I talked to that because now coaching at duluth um and talking to some of the young guys that have gone through it like i i remember that like you've probably gone through that too like the worst feeling is being that kind of bubble guy And you're coming back from warmups, right? And you're going back to the stick rack and you're just looking for that coach. You're like, oh, am I in? Am I out? Am I in? Am I out? Right? Like, that's probably the worst feeling. Probably the thing I hate the most or like, don't miss the most from pro hockey is like that in and out of the lineup and just waiting to see if the coach is there to tell you he's no, you had a good warmup, but you're out of the lineup tonight. Right. That's a pins and needles thing. And I think that's, I don't know if I ever got 100% comfortable playing the NHL, which is maybe why you play good all the time or play at your best for the most part. Cause I think every day, like, unless you're the all-star, you're just not, not a hundred percent comfortable that you're going to be playing every day. It's just, right. It's, it's an intense environment.
1: That is an intense. Dean McCammon, I was on the ice with him the other day, 996 games, I think in the NHL. Yeah, and I he was-
0: play with him in Philly. too. Uh, what a good oh, dude. Okay. Or maybe it was Chicago. I don't remember now, but
1: what a good dude. Yeah. Guy. Great guy. Great guy. Great player. And, and he was running this, uh, it was a bunch of prospects, essentially, you know, like, prospects, a lot of guys had been drafted or want to get drafted. And, you know, they, but it's like, it, it, it's a group, it was a group that was, like, wasn't necessarily competitive with each other. And it was just a summer skate, right? You know what I mean, to get these guys out. And he was having fun drills. And like, the guys were working hard and doing their own thing. But like, there wasn't any chirping, there wasn't any laughing, there wasn't any, like, really any smiles, right? And so he brought them all in. And he's like, What's going on here? He's like, you know, I played nine hundred ninety six games and nine hundred ninety one of them weren't that fun because I was so stressed out. He's like, I get serious. That's it. He's like, I get serious. If you can't have fun right now in July, he's like, you know, come on, boys. Like, and and I was like, God, that's so true. You know, like it's it's um, boy, learn to have fun with it. It's one thing I talk with my players about too. Is this that passion? I think it's where your head goes right like what like yeah. what do you what do you enjoy on the ice like really be intentional about that like why do you skate what do you play do you like the boys do you yeah. like chirping do you like having fun do you like laughing yeah. like do you like scoring goals like what is that and like do it you know do it like do it and enjoy it and be grateful for it that you're being yeah. there and then it becomes less serious but
0: that's a lot of fun like yeah i, I try to bring like i i've always been a rink rat like my favorite part of every day is even practice just getting on the ice and just skating around and feeling the air and just, oh, it's so great so I try to make as much good energy as I can, but it's genuine for me. I, I love getting on the ice and it's fun for me to get on the ice. Like I love getting on the ice today, whether it's the young guys or old guys, and and I feel bad for guys that like feel like they're just like, oh, I've gotta go out and skate. Like that's right. a that's a long goal if you're gonna play the game that way. Right.
1: <laughs> How about you getting out of like um we're getting close on time here, I won't keep you forever. We haven't talked very much about your, your your career, which was which was an awesome one. But like right out of Minnesota Duluth. Straight into the NHL, like boom, you make it that first year. Just like I think that's a pretty cool space to talk about. You I mean you were? Which I will preface for the for the listeners here: ninety-two points your senior year. Um, Hobie Baker finalist, uh, a guy that nobody's ever heard of. Hall of Famer Paul Korea wins it, so yeah, I mean maybe. Yeah, right. First it's time ever. First Korea um, had a hundred points. I think you had ninety-two. So obviously, you had a great season. But even at that point, like, did you think? that you were going to be in the NHL in four months or five months. Like, is that where your headspace was at at that point? Or oh, how did you go in that I, camp?
0: I don't think I even talked to Buffalo through that whole process. So much. I'll tell you the story. It was kind of, it's kind of interesting. Cause that, that, that time it was a 94 Olympics. Like they had a 92 Olympics and they are switching it. So they had another 94 Olympics. And uh, I had done a lot of USA stuff. And I think I was slotted to go to the Olympic team. I actually made the Olympic team. We were on tour already in like August, maybe we were over in finland and my like i i just had to get my knee scoped it, it locked up like you know the cartilage flipped over or whatever so i get on a bu- bus a train a plane all the way back to minnesota to, all by myself from finland to get a, a surgery and get a scope and that, that was the first time that buffalo really called oh why don't you just come out for a training camp and we can check on your knee and and whatnot right like i hadn't heard from anybody and at that point i hadn't i didn't have a contract so when i got there I went there literally with a, like a little bag with my skates and three or four pairs of shorts. And I skated with uh, some of the scouts. Cause I couldn't skate with the team cause I didn't have a contract. So, and like, I mean, Larry Carrier is a big name, right? I think he's assistant GM in Montreal. He was one of the head scouts there at that time and, you know, a former player. So it was him. And I don't know, a couple other scouts that I just skated with them just to get a skate in. Right. And they're like, wow, you're like really fast. Where did you play last year? I'm like, what <laughs> you know like no i'm not like overly cocky guy but i'm like i mean I, it's not like college was like maybe college wasn't the most premium thing in their eyes but that wasn't like college wasn't around uh, i just think it's so ridiculous after doing player development they're like where'd you play i'm like i played at duluth i had a pretty good year you know like we made the ncaa tournament and i was up for the hobie baker right <laughs> i just thought that was odd i didn't say that to him but in my mind i'm like wow okay ever. And then that, like that, that day or the next day, like Muckler came to me. He's like, what do you want? You want to, you want to sign and come with us on a trip to, uh, out to San Jose for like exhibition game? I'm like, sure. Why wouldn't I? I so "Well, I'll, I'll talk to your agent, we'll get it worked out. So just make sure you go get some clothes and be ready for the plane tomorrow. I'm like, so that's like how fast it happened. Well, I was supposed to be at the Olympic team. And then two days later I'm skating with the scouts who didn't even know who I was. And then a day later, like he asked me if I wanted to sign, signed a contract and I was on the plane and, and the rest is history. So I never went home again with my little bag. So I had to buy a bunch of clothes and get kind of organized, and and then you know it went fairly well that first first part and scored a few goals. And so, got, it, so you actually
1: missed training camp then, like you 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 jumped in part, for like just the exhibition season, kind of. Yeah, and then-
0: pretty much. Like yeah, I mean then we kind of then yeah I skated with a little bit for a couple of days and maybe the team for a day, and then we were on on the plane and off we were out to San Jose and played in the call Palace and. Played and scored a couple goals in Vancouver in the second game, and I'm like, oh, all right, this is all right. And then, yeah, I I guess I made the team, and that was it. (laughs) So, okay, so 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 when you signed, yeah, yeah.
1: so when you signed, it wasn't like you signed a one way or like you knew you were on the team. It was more like you signed to see or what.
0: I had a little bit of leverage because I was actually still what kind of with the Olympic team, and Olympics is that winner. So I had a. I had in my contract that I could have went to the Olympic team on my choice and there, and then I, and I got a one way contract after playing 10 games. So like I played right away I because I, someone got hurt right away and I played the 10 games right away. So uh, luckily, like at that point I was on a one way. I'm like, I didn't even know what all that stuff meant really at that time. Cause I never really paid attention to that stuff, but it was good enough for me. Um, and yeah, then the, the big decision that, that the winter at the Olympics was should I go with the Olympic team and, I really wanted to, but you know, the owner and the Muckler had come to me and said, "No, nah, we we need you to stay and whatever." So I missed the Olympics. It was kind of a kind of a bummer looking back at that because I mean, I would have missed like four or five games. Wouldn't have been that big a deal, right? Playing the Olympics and all that. But at that time, was all the amateurs, right? It wasn't the right how they have it now with the NHL guys. So that's super <laughs> that cool, and kind
1: of, what an amazing rookie right. year too! Like, know, yeah, I, mean, I looked it up. You you did get a Calder vote. You've you you yeah. got one one third place vote. You had twenty one. 21 goals and 56 points. <clears throat> like, super impressive. It was also a good Calder year, though. Martin Berger won it, and there was some other yeah. – Yashin like was a rookie that year, and yeah, Renberg. and
0: yeah, Jason Arnott was a good player that year. He,
1: yeah. yeah. So there's some stiff competition, but, I mean, great. Well, I mean, geez, like, I, I'm just – it makes me smile just even looking at that, like, you know, coming out and, and not met much expectation for you personally, even and then all of a sudden you you know, you're on the NHL stage and you're performing yeah. and I mean welcome to welcome to the show, right? And you didn't play a game yeah. in the minors till like two thousand. Like that was uh right.
0: yeah nuts. So yeah, it was yeah, so it was a good run. Like I right, you don't know, like so college worked perfect for me, right? I was right. ready to go when I got there and again, just I think like everybody just I was willing to work every day, so I mean, I, it was never really my problem. I was always willing to work, and I guess I was in the right place at the right time. Like, timing's everything, too, right? So, I mean, cor- like, LaFontaine was there, and then he got hurt. I mean, he wasn't terribly hurt, but he got hurt a little bit during the season, so that got me some more games. And then, you know, it's like anybody, you get the opportunity, what do you do with it? And yeah. Luckily, I scored enough. I got to play – I think I played with Brad May that year and, and Donald LaDette. We were all kind of the same age, young guys, and there was a good older group of guys there that – you know, treating me well. So it was, it was, it was great. I mean, it's, it's a
1: memory it? from, from your time. I'll,
0: I'll let you go. I know you got to get to practice
1: here, but like, I, mean, <laughs> I know you got the cup in Dallas, like, which obviously would have to be a highlight. I mean, you, you played some, you didn't play in the final, but you, you definitely were a contributor getting yeah. them there and got the name in the cup. And, you know the, the great years in Buffalo. Like, what what would be if you were to if you were to say this was this was my favorite memory or my greatest accomplishment or however you'd want to frame that from your from your time. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, yeah, for sure. I, I think the Stanley Cup, just that whole process. I can't tell you how much you learn, and just a, a playoff run like that. Like, I learned so many of this attributes of going through a team with so many leaders and people giving and taking, and just. So much. That that was an unbelievable experience. I think the other experience was, you know, I scored I scored a game seven goal in overtime against Ottawa. And I think as much as that, the goal was awesome, but I think part of it was that team. Because at some point we kind of like nowadays, nowadays you would say it was a rebuild, right? Because we had Howard, Chuck LaFontaine. We had all these big names. But at that point we got rid of those guys had moved on. And we had really a young group of guys that kind of grew together. And, like, that was kind of that year. Like, we moved into the new building. I had a pretty good year. We ended up winning the first round of the playoffs and scoring the goal in game seven, the first round, and we got smoked by Philly the next round. But then the next year we got all the way to the conference final, lost to Washington to go to the Stanley Cup. And then a year later would have been the year that I got traded right at the deadline to Dallas and we ended up beating Buffalo in the Stanley Cup final. So like that group of guys, we did a lot of growing in those four or five years. So that was really fun to be part of that group of guys, Yeah. which also made that Stanley Cup kind of weird, right? Because I'm sitting there playing against all the guys that I just – we just, we really grew a lot in those four years to, to get to that Stanley Cup. And yeah, be on the, I guess I was on the right side of it, but also looking over, going, this is really weird. Um, as much as I was happy to be on the right side of it,
1: sure. Yeah, Danny Briere spoke like you know, he's a almost a thousand game other, too, I think. And like, he's like, he loved that team in Buffalo. Yeah, yeah there's
0: a bunch of great guys. Love awesome. it. Yeah, I was looking it at
1: just the different way, different. just the way that, like, you guys grew together, like you said, like yeah. you know, like the what you had to go through and how how to get there. And he just said yeah. it was just a real special
0: group. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, Curtis Brown was on that team. I know you played with him before. Um, but just a fun guy. Like just a bunch of young, like young guys that were kind of trying to fight their way into the, the league. And and we yeah. were never supposed to win anything. It didn't hurt that we had Dominic Hoshik, so he always gave us a chance, right? Like because we weren't like a great scoring team, but we worked our butts off and. And, you know, they had Dom to kind of cover up all our mistakes. So yeah, how could, good was uh, he? Uh, I, I can't even tell you how great he was. Like, he's not even good. Like, he's great. I think the first – like, when I first got there, he was our backup to Grant Fear. Because Grant Fear is a Hall of Famer, so just automatically he's kind of our backup. But in practice, everybody, like like I didn't really know because I didn't know who they were and I didn't know who Dom was yet. But in practice, you're, everybody's just like, you should see Dom. Like, he's unbelievable, right? Like, talking about our backup, and I'm like, Okay. I mean, I'm talking about Grand Fear. This is Grand Fear. It would be the one guy. If you ever picked a guy, it would be the guy. Like, yeah, this is pretty cool. But the first, like, then, then Fierzy got hurt and Dom came in and played. And I literally think that we sat on the bench for the first month going, <gasps> you couldn't believe how good he was. He was unbelievable. He made so many unbelievable, crazy saves, stuff you'd never seen. It was, he was intense too, though. But I, yeah, like, I had just never seen him like it. I don't yeah. think yeah like he for sure. Like I can't imagine anybody be better than him
1: to this day. Yeah, I mean I I, I had an opportunity to play with him in in Detroit. I was like the, the my last NHL stint and I was like just like from a personality standpoint, I mean I was I was a washed up 30-year-old trying to make a team, you know what I mean, and like yeah. and he talked to me like, you know, I I was Chris Chelios or something. Like he started the <laughs> conversation. He talked to me for 45 minutes like he just seemed like really – he was an interesting human. and But to look at him, like, you, I, I wouldn't pick him out as being an
0: athlete at all. No. Right? He looked it's like a local librarian. It's funny you say that because I was just talking to some the other day because my kids have kind of gotten into tennis. And I like tennis. We didn't have tennis, at, but I played a lot of tennis at that time, like when I was kind of growing up and I, on fun, like cross training, I guess. But I like Dom, you look at him and you're like, not much to him, right? I'm like, Dom, good goalie. And I, I just I heard he wanted to play tennis. I'm like, I'll take you on. Like, I'm thinking, Oh, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna finally get the one one up on him. This is gonna be awesome, right? So we get to the tennis court and we're playing. And like I literally don't think I got one point on him. He was unbelievable. I thought he was Yvonne Lendl. He had me <laughs> running all over the court, and he's just he's actually chirping, me. Come on, Dedek. come on, Dedek, get the ball, get it back. Like he just had me running all over, and I wasn't like a bad tennis player, I was pretty good. Like, I I could be a pretty good player, but obviously I couldn't. Dom, no, he was unbelievable. He was That's unbelievable. So he was a—he was not just a goalie. He was actually an
1: athlete. <laughs> right. Yeah, but like you say, but not—not not by looking like he—he he came. No. very unassuming, right, in the way yeah, he looked. Absolutely.
0: Um, how was he? Like, what did he practice?
1: Like, this is the last thing I'll go because, like, I talk a lot about standards, uh, and and maybe this might not even be a good uh, a good segue to Dom because maybe he wasn't a hard practice player. But like, mm-hmm. it's interesting when you like when you see greatness. A lot of times we assume that it's like they're just better. their their natural skill set is just better and that's why they're better. But like, it's amazing how often it correlates with just like an above average standard of whatever it is, work ethic, commitment, passion. You know what I mean? Like whatever those things are that it's like, you know, it's elevated and that elevation has allowed them to be one of the best in the world. Was
0: Dom like that? Oh my gosh. He was beyond that. He was, his intensity level was through the roof. Again, like this is one of the first times that I was there that first year and maybe right after he was playing, but I'm sitting in practice and I think I'm just sitting there and I, I think he got scored on like three times, you know, I'm just sitting in line and all of a sudden, all of a sudden I look over and he, he's throwing the net off. <laughs> he blows the net off and he comes over the bench and he's wham and he's hammering all the water bottles. And I'm like, what happened? Like, I think he got scored on like three times in a row. Like that was it. That wasn't like somebody ran him or someone hit him in the head. Like it was nothing. Like he got scored on three times in a row and he just lost his mind. Like his competitiveness was like unbelievable. So my only claim to fame on Dom would be like, you know, like right before, like in the morning skate, right? Usually the home team skates and then the other team comes on right after. As well, I was playing a little game with him, like a scoring game, and I had his number that day. I don't know why. I just got lucky. But like he would not – I kept scoring on him like best out of three pucks, right? So we must have went for like 25 minutes. But like the other team sitting on the bench watching, like and I'm like, this is the greatest ever. Someone's actually seen me score on Dom. That's not that easy to do, right. Like I would get the first goal for whatever reason, because I kept changing it up and I got in his mind. I got in his mind, I think. And but he wouldn't let me leave until he beat me. And then finally he won. But oh, it was the great one of the greatest days of my life is being in a scoring game. When the other team's sitting there watching on the bench, it was awesome.
1: <laughs> I had Curtis Joseph wanted me to do that when I was in Toronto with him all the time. I've told this story a few times. Like he'd give me three pucks on the hash marks and it yeah. wasn't like a yeah. deacon game, yeah. but I had to shoot. And I could, I mean, I could take slappers if I wanted to, and he'd stand on the goal line. Yeah.
0: That's how Dom was. Absolutely. Yeah. Same. And I
1: considered myself a pretty good shooter. You know what I mean? Like, and like I right. would rarely ever win. Like rarely. Uh, no, it was amazing how quick he was too. Like, God, that frustrated me. But you know what? I just want to, cause the competitive nature, I, I want to, it's it's one of those like competitiveness rick vive on on this podcast said you know i'll take a competitive player over a skilled player any day right because he'd be like but all you want to do is you want to round the edges smooth the edges he said (laughs) in the competitiveness right like you don't want to take it out of them but like that display like you just said like dom slashing his stick and the water bottles and pushing the net over like that could be viewed by some people as like selfish
0: yeah yeah i guess i mean yeah i think that's that's a great point you you bring up. I think there has to be a little bit of selfishness to to everybody's game to get where they need to go. It's just whether they can, at some point, adapt to like play with teammates and be a good teammate at the same time. Like, yeah. you think about a real good goal scorer, like a legit goal scorer, like you got to be a little bit selfish to score goals because sometimes you're taking the shot when maybe you should be passing. Like, quite honestly, yeah. right? like there's got to be some selfishness in there to put yourself in a position to get better and get better and get better. And yeah. you just got to be able to manage that. But I, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah. And then, and also the ability to recover after that. I mean, so what does Dom do after that? Does he get back in the net? I mean, is he, you know, because like oh. I think, I think that whole scenario too, I mean, it could be a downward spiral that's not productive for anybody, or it could just be his way to
0: release, let everyone,
1: you know, yeah. let everyone know and get back in right. there. But and I think,
0: um, yeah, I know some of that when I was a young kid. I think my mom used to carry around a paper bag because I would hyperventilate often enough because I would just get so fired up. And I, I didn't learn how to handle it until I probably got maybe to college, right? Like I wasn't right. – I think every coach that ask my dad is like, is he okay? Like I would <laughs> – when I was always towards myself, like I wasn't like a guy that lashed out on my teammates that way, right? Like I was just – I would hit myself on the head and I'd be like punching the boards and I was just like, ah! whatever, like when i make a bad pass. But yeah. so I think a lot of that fire, like if you can find a kid with that fire – like, I've, I've been in, on benches where, like, the kid's crying, right? And the other coach are like, you got to get him to stop crying. I'm like, no, let's figure out why he's crying. Like, if he's crying because he's mad and he wants to do better, then, like, let's, let's pat him on the back for crying, right? Like, I don't mean, think you can get enough competitive fire in guys to, like, that really pushes them. And at some point we hope that we can learn how to manage some of those emotions. Yes.
1: Yes. I love you saying that. Use it, right. Find a way to use it.
0: Use that fire, use that fire, but use it the right way. Don't use it at your teammates. Use it it to make yourself better and do a better job. Exactly. Oh my gosh. That's like so perfect because that's the whole thing is like I said about
1: that. Is it serving you, right? Like there's a way to use that emotion and that fire to serve you, or you can like dismantle everyone around you and and yourself, you know, like, so, um, Yeah, I think the passion, the competitiveness is a great place to start. And then, like, teaching and trying to help people navigate how to use that is, uh, you know, is is obviously a a big advantage to them. And if you're in a coaching situation, it's an advantage to your team, too, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, sure. Awesome, buddy. So great to catch up. I got your number now. We will be in touch. I got to run to practice here myself, so I got to go. But, um, my gosh, listen, there's 90 minutes and, like, we talked about one season in your NHL career, (laughs) essentially. But uh, so much to chat about, right?
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. Hey man, up. best
1: of luck this year, and I will be in touch because we'll we'll continue this conversation. I'm glad I'm glad Heels got us in contact, and I'd uh, yeah. like to know more about what you're doing there and, and everything else at the Minnesota Duluth. Yeah. So that'd be great. Perfect. All right, all right, Planner. Cheers. Take care. Ciao. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, for sticking around to the end, you faithful audience members. I love the ones who stick around forever because uh, that's where the good stuff is, and you get to hear <laughs> you get to hear my outros all the time. Uh, thank you to Derek. For being a part of this it happened really quick like i said in the interview ryan uh, eric Healy hooked us up bam it happened i love when things happen quickly it makes my life a lot less painful uh, and chasing down people and derek was just a pleasure to talk to and so many so many great perspectives and stories there so um thanks again for being here thanks again for getting the momentum rolling i will be back i will be bringing more interviews to you uh, get keep me on your radar. The Up My Hockey radar is happening. This season is going to be phenomenal, and I'm here to support you and
0: your athlete. So till next time, play hard.